Hey, Brian here with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in a series entitled Breathing Underwater, looking at spirituality and the 12 steps. And so this week, we are diving into the fifth step, where we confess to ourselves, to God, and to one other person the exact nature of our wrongs, that place where we, in our own lives, seem to be uh, disrupting the peace in our own lives and in the world around us, and so confessing that so that we might find freedom. Our friend Newman Sanders is teaching tonight, so let's head on over to the podcast. Much peace to you. Over the last uh, five weeks, we have been in a series entitled Breathing Underwater. And in this particular series, uh, if, you, if you needed to come up with a subtitle, the subtitle might be Spirituality and the 12 Steps. As we have been basically taking the 12 Steps, 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and working through them in such a way as to how those steps uh, relate uh, just in a beautiful way to Christian spirituality and how... Uh, as, a, as a person who is a follower of Jesus might grow deeper roots, grow in maturity in Christ, and, and how that might even play into uh, some of the steps. And I know that for some that might seem like a, an interesting twist, but if you've ever experienced or known anyone who um, worked the steps in AA, there's a very good chance you saw wonderful transformation take place in them, and, and the reason is because I firmly believe that Bill W. was a follower of Christ uh, who wrote AA, and uh, there's, there's very transformative power, and all of it is uh, very Jesus-centered. So tonight we are on the fifth step, which has to do with, uh, last week we talked about doing a, a, the, taking a searching, a fearless and moral inventory of our own lives and kind of doing some investigative work in our own lives, and this week we talk about what it looks like to actually confess to ourselves, to God, and to another person uh, some of the things that are going on within us. And tonight, I have asked our friend Newman Sanders to teach. So I, I uh, typically teach, if this is your first time with us, uh, typically uh, I teach, but I try to, uh, we've created a team here where we try to take a little bit more of a team approach. And so Newman's going to be teaching tonight. So Newman, why don't you come on, if you would make Newman feel like a million bucks as he comes. Uh, yeah. You feel like a million bucks? Yeah, half a million. Half a million, all right. Is this on, Brian? Uh, yes, it's tip-top. Guys, welcome, and uh, you mind putting a prayer on the screen? Can you all hear me? Is it going through? So guys, uh, those of you who don't know me, um, this program is uh, near and dear to my heart, and I'm not teaching um, just out of a book, but I'm teaching also out of experience, um, an experience that I've had uh, uh, through working the steps. And this one in particular, 
is uh, life-changing, and uh, I'll try to be able to uh, explain to you why. So I'm going to invite, uh, just come Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we pray that you fill this space. Fill this space with your love, Lord, your presence. Fill our hearts, Lord, with the same. And folks, uh, church, if you would uh, um, just pray this prayer along with us. Let's pray this uh, prayer together. Uh, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them might bear witness to those I would help thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. I do thy will always. Amen. So, in Luke, Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus tells a story to a group of people who are so very pleased at their moral superiority. If they look down their nose at the common people. The story is about two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee posed and postured up and prayed thanks to God that he's not like other men, robbers, thieves, adulterers, or heaven forbid, this tax collector, or sinners, or people like us. Meanwhile, the man from the IRS, I mean, the tax collector, he cowers down in a corner. He's full of shame and remorse, full of fear, weeping with his face and his hands and prays a simple prayer. God have mercy on me. Forgive me, I am but a sinner. Jesus said that the tax collector returned home right with God. And I think that the Pharisee is having his reward now, basking in the glory of his own ego and pride. In Luke 15, 11 through 32, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, and I think that we all, I know that we're all aware of this story, and I'm pretty sure that this is a story that uh, we can relate to in a tangible way. I'm sure we all know someone or some situation that pretty much uh, describes this story. And I'm gonna paraphrase big time, um, so bear with me. There's a story of a man who has two sons. The youngest son steals his father's money. He lives home, leaves home and pisses it all away on drugs, 
and alcohol. He becomes an addict. To both the alcohol and the drugs, and winds up a felon. He finds himself hom homeless and hungry. He's eating out of dumpsters, turning tricks to support his habit. Eventually, he hits rock bottom and has nowhere else to turn except back to his father's home. As he knocks on the door and his father realizes uh, who it is, his heart starts to beat violently inside of his chest. His eyes well up with tears. As he opens the door and wraps his arms around his son, the son cries out, Father, please forgive me. I've sinned against you and against God. I don't deserve to be called your son. And I think in this parable, um, Jesus is talking about the love of God that he has for us. A God of grace, mercy, and a love that we don't have to earn. It's just given freely to us. even when we think we don't deserve it. But you see what's going on here, I think, and this is my interpretation, is the grace of sin. The grace of sin. You see, well people don't need doctors. Only the sick do. And if we were all perfect, if we all did not commit sins, why would we need the forgiveness of a father anyway? Why would we need Jesus' forgiveness at all? So we're in week six of our series, Breathing Underwater. Can you still hear this? It's like in my face. And I can't help but think that some of you are wondering, how does this even apply to me? And why are we talking about it? I'm not an addict. I'm not an alcoholic. Right? But, um, this Bible, early on in my recovery, somebody gave me this Bible, right? It's a recovery Bible. It's not a recovery from alcohol and drugs Bible, right? It's just a recovery Bible. And in the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. But in, inside of this cover, inside of the cover of this Bible, on the first page, they have it written both that way and also another. It says, we admitted we were powerless over our dependencies, that our lives had become unmanageable. You see, perhaps, if you put on a new pair of glasses, 
you may be able to see things a little bit more clearly. Father Richard Rohr says in the book, Breathing on the Water, that we are all addicted to something. It can even be as subtle as our thoughts. For instance, people who are racist. They're addicted to the belief that whatever race they belong to is far superior than whatever race you may be, right? Probably nothing short of a spiritual experience will ever change their way of thinking. The thinking that they're addicted to, the way that they were raised. Now, kids aren't born racist, guys. Something they're, they're taught, something that we teach them. You don't come out of the womb hating anyone. You only know the love, the love of your mother and your father. We need to change that, guys. Starts here. Starts, starts in rooms like this all over the world. One service at a time, one person at a time. We're always waiting on, well, I'm going off here, but we're always waiting on somebody else to do something, man. We say, they need to do something about this. Who's they? Right? Who is it? We are, man. We're they. It starts here. It starts in our hearts. It starts with the understanding and the love of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. So far in this teaching, Brian has talked about our powerlessness and unmanageability, coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, and making probably the biggest decision of our lives, which is to turn our will and our power over to the care of God. Care of God as we understand him, because you see, guess what? The world's not only full of Christians. The world's full of other religions as well. And it needs to start with them also. We need to come to a when understanding that um, peace is within us all. It's not, it doesn't come from the place where we label ourselves. It's Christian or Muslim or gay or black or white, right? It's an inside job. Step one tells us that I can't. Step two tells us that he can. And step three, says that I'm going to let him. And then there's a dreaded, <laughs> and all of us who practice this program seem to dread this next one. And it's step four that Brian thought about last week, the searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. The truth shall set you free, right? Truth shall set you free. But first, you need to know what the truth is. And for an addict, an alcoholic, a liar like myself, that came from a lot of invested time and hard work. 
So now that we've done these things, what do we do with all of this stuff? This sin, those things that we discovered about ourselves that had been so secretive, had been hidden and covered up for our lives. What do we do with what we've discovered is the root cause of our addiction or our racism or our hate, the way we think. What do we do with this? How does this help us to heal? In Psalm 32, 3 through 5, King David is talking about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. You see, he sent Uriah, her husband, to a place where he would surely be killed. And he did this to cover up his infidelity with Uriah's wife. And the poem goes, or the psalm goes, all the time I kept silent and my bones wasted away. I groaned day in and day out. My heart grew parched as stubble in summer drought. And at last I admitted to you that I had sinned, no longer concealed my guilt. And in James 5.16, James writes, So I confess, so confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and this will cure you. Step five in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous reads, we admitted to God, to ourselves, to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. The exact nature of our wrongs. So this exact nature um, came to light as we did the step five to the step four. That search in the Jewish moral inventory. And what we're talking about here in a religious sense is confession, the acknowledgement of our sins or wrongdoings, or perhaps the separation from the roots that had grown so deeply in guilt and shame. Many organized religions have some sort of legalistic way of practicing confession. If there are any other recovering Catholics in the room, I'm sure you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Where you go into a confessional, you confess your sins to a priest who in turn has been ordained uh, to forgive you. In Buddhism, it's called Vinaya, where regular confession to other monks is mandatory, as well as confessing to Buddha himself. The Islamic faith, the act of seeking forgiveness from God, is called istifar, and it's done by repeating the Arabic word asta, the ruler meaning I seek forgiveness from Allah and is an essential part of their worship. 
And in Judaism, it's important in obtaining forgiveness for sins against both God and man. Confession to God are done communally as a church and confessing your sins against another man are done in private. One-on-one. -on -one. And in AA, it's simply called step five. And I mention all these other religions because, man, we don't care who you are. The walls have been broken down. We are all in this together, guys. Confession is as important to you as it is to me, no matter where you come from, or, or, or no matter who you pray to. Not believe without this life-changing step, our unconfessed sins will haunt us forever. They'll fester within our souls. We will continue to pay the penalty with our body, our mind, and our spirit. We will continue without this confession to pay the price with our mind, our body, and our spirit. For me, I chose to take this step with my sponsor, a man who I trust and love. He's my spiritual advisor and a man who surely wouldn't judge. Man, but how could I tell anyone these things about myself, about my deepest, darkest, Secrets about the truths of my incomprehensible demoralization beyond most people's imagination. How could I tell anybody about these things? And early on in this meeting with my sponsor to do step five, I start telling him this story. And believe me, I wasn't telling him the story to brag about myself. I remember telling him about going to the bathrooms and bars and running my hand on the back of the toilet and then rubbing my finger on my teeth. See if I could scrounge up maybe a little essence of some cocaine that perhaps someone had left there. And he looked at me and he said, me too, me too. Then I knew there was no reason to hold back anything. You see, he was just like me. And we all have something, right? Something that we hide. In this place of confession, we can feel the weight. And I speak this with, I speak this with uh, experience, relief, my heart. From this place of confession, we can feel the world lift from our shoulders. You see, we get to leave all of this sin and all of this stuff that we admitted to God, ourselves, and another human being in step five at the foot of the cross.
we can sense a new and different freedom, a freedom from the bondage of self. You want to know what the problem is? You take a look in the mirror. You know that's where my problem came from. It was from the guy staring back at me. We can begin to grow new roots, roots that are embedded in the body and blood of Christ. I'd like to invite Brian back up uh, to lead us in worship as we share communion together. For those of you guys who haven't been here before, it's your first time, our communion table, as you can see, is just made up of bricks and boards with writing. We just wrote on them. All of our stuff, and in a way, it's a form of confession. It's stuff that represents us as a community of faith that brings us all together as one, no matter who you are, where you're from, black, white, whatever, gay, straight, Republican or Democrat. We just leave it all here. We give it all to God. And as Brian uh, begins to worship, we come up and we break the bread. Represents the body of Christ, beaten, beaten, and nailed to the cross. And the juice that represents uh, the blood of Christ, poured out, poured out for our sins. And today, let's let it represent all of our stuff and all of our junk uh, that we leave there, we leave there at the foot of the cross.